Welcome to Everything Trying to Kill You, the podcast where three hot sluts talk smart trash about your favorite horror movies. They did not sign off on this introduction. We did not. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, this has become a thing for me to try to sneak weird shit into the intros <laughs> and then see if you guys are actually reading them at all or if you guys just jump I, straight I did to the read meat and potatoes. I was like, well, she's not really going to say that. I'm Mary. I'm Mary Kay. I'm Rachel. And today we are joined by a truly fabulous guest. Please extend a sassy but bangable ETTK style. Welcome to Clay, I'm just kidding, McLeod Chapman. Yay! Hey guys, thanks so much for having me on. (laughs) Is that your best NPR voice? I think you can go further with it. Hello, thank you very much for having me on today. It's such a pleasure, guys. Thank you. Oh, man, I really wish I'd had a Diane Rehm impression in my back pocket. That would have been perfect, but I, I can't. There's no way. There's no way. So, Clay, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about why we bothered to have you on the show today. Oh, my gosh. Tell us everything. We well, want to know everything. Hi. Uh, my name is Clay McLeod Chapman, um, and I was born in Virginia, uh, raised in Richmond, live in Brooklyn, and I am the author of a new novel, newish novel, called the remaking and the the remaking is like a a spooky spooky story that gets told four different ways every 20 years and it is a you know it's like the little horror story that could it's 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 a labor of love and uh i feel very happy to be here to kind of uh talk about that and (laughs) talk about one of my favorite movies the Exorcist. The Exorcist! That's yes. right, guys. Today we are finally talking oh. about the one ring to rule them all, but also not the ring like with Naomi Watts. We're going to talk about the big daddy of horror, William Friedkin's The Exorcist. Did I give it away? Was <laughs> I not you... supposed to say No, you the were supposed to. That yeah. was beautiful. That was fine. We yeah. love it. Yes. Okay. That was perfect. All right. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's dive in crucifix first. Ooh. Gross. You nasty. <laughs> you nasty. You <laughs> nasty. Now all I see sure. is that one scene where she's like, let Jesus fuck you. Let Jesus no. fuck you. <laughs> I have a question about that, but I will wait my turn. Me too. I feel like some of the demons like grammatical choices were really confusing to me. Like, I'm not sure what they really did for him. He really, I don't know. He could have he could have worked with somebody. He could have improved his writing. The demon, yeah. I mean. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what? Not the writer of the movie. I mean, the, the demon himself. Like His, his material was a little I, dry. Yeah, like, I don't know if he was expressing himself in a way best suited to, like, what was he trying to do? Cultivate terror? Was he trying to, like, just destabilize? I don't know. I was clear on the demon. The voice to me was very unsettling, but also mm-hmm. kind of... Well, I know we're going to talk about this in a minute, but... Oh, yeah. It was weird. Okay, I'm going to table that. I'm just going to cut my own self off and let you do (laughs) the icebreaker. When we get get to talking about that voice acting, I'm going to have a lot to say. So don't you you fear. Don't you fear. So I had a hard time coming up with an icebreaker here. I came up with stuff that was like way too shallow, like on a scale of zero to 10, how bangable is Father Karras? The answer is obviously 10, like every time. I don't care. So, (laughs) so, right. So that was like too easy. And then it was like too hard. Like what voice would the demon use to show you that it was real? And I was like, that's too much. 
bitch, I think. Like with Karis, it used his mother's voice. And it used the man who was asking him for change. Demi, why I was do like, you do this to me? I don't know me? if I... <laughs> oh, Demi, yeah. Why you do this? I was like, I don't, I don't know if any of us should actually spend the time reflecting on that for ourselves. I don't know if that's what a about what just What here. would be a funny demon voice? Like, what would be the voice that you that would like wouldn't work on you if the demon tried it? You'd be like, oh no, buddy. Oh. Just keep talking. Like, get excited <laughs> I'll go about for it. it. Okay. <laughs> what was the sound you made earlier? The little. <laughs> <laughs> that one? That's the one. We, That's the demon voice. We. <laughs> So that noise, uh, dear listeners, is um, me. So you know how you can roll your tongue, like to roll an R, the sound R, like I can do that outside of my mouth, like on my lips. So that's what I was doing. And we've decided that that's going to be my whole dating profile now. Just Just gifts. Just boomerangs of me doing that. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, so as our icebreaker, what, what demon voice would you, would not work on you? Yeah. Okay. Like Carol Kane. Actually, that's who I thought it sounded like. I oh, a little bit, yeah. I have a dream. A dream <laughs> of just you, Lydia. <laughs> I'm so just, glad that just happened. Just Broadway show tunes for, for possession. <laughs> Ethel Merman, you'll be. <laughs> Ethel Merman would not be a successful demon voice for me now. I'll swallow your soul. <laughs> Oh my god, I have a bracelet that says that. During our gift exchange episode, Megan gave me a bracelet. <laughs> the quotes from the, that quote from Evil Dead. And now I'm always going to hear it as if Ethel Merman is singing. <laughs> That's so sweet. That's awesome. yeah. um, okay, I think I would pick uh, Samuel L. Jackson. That shit wouldn't scare you if a demon... Had the no. vocal authority of Mr. Jackson. Get this motherfucking I mean, demon out of my motherfucking body. in my house. Yes, exactly. I think I would just be so entertained that I'd be like, no. <laughs> just to hear what he would say. Yeah. I'm good. Keep going. Keep going. What about you, Rachel? What wouldn't work on you? I would say um, any one of those, I don't remember what the group of them were called, but those Disney characters like Goofy and Mickey and <laughs> Donald yes. Duck. Uh, Disney characters? Is that what you're talking about? They're called Disney characters? Like oh, you okay, said? not all Disney. Like, Because then people are going to be talking about like the Disney princesses, Disney Plus, like, and then Star Wars, but specifically okay. the ones with like Donald Duck and Goofy. Like the older, older school. Mm. Bugs Bunny wouldn't work on you. That's not no, Disney. He sounded kind of oh, yeah, cool yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, other than when he was going like, hey, what's up, Doc? Like, other than that, yeah. he um, sounded pretty cool. Yeah. But por- Porky, Porky Pig, Pig isn't Disney, is but Looney Porky Tune. Pig would not work on me. Well, Porky hey, Pig. do y'all, just real quick, do y'all remember when Bugs Bunny ate through that apple core? Mm-hmm. Like he was eating the apple and he just kept moving <laughs> it right through the core. That fucked me up as a kid. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what? How I... What? I just remember like totally overreacting to him. You were really cool core. with them like throwing grand pianos off of cliffs, but not eating <laughs> through an apple core. Yeah, when the Wally e. Coyote got like smashed by an anvil, I was like, <laughs> but when he ate <laughs> that apple core, I was like, fucking what is happening? Amazing. <laughs> what about you, Mary? What voice would not work for you? I would say, um, 
I, I, I kind of want to go a different direction with it. Like a voice that wouldn't work on me because I would be liking <laughs> it. Oh, here we go. Okay. I'm into it. Right? So like Donald Sutherland as the demon. Like he could actually <laughs> be saying scary stuff, but I'd be like, just keep talking, baby. Keep it coming. That's right. That's right. Go ahead. Cause... Like a Black Phillips voice in The Witch. <gasps> oh my God. Yes. Do yes. I don't know. Better. I would yeah, be I wait. Love that's extra too cl- better. That's my shit. So we yes. all did we did we all just readily admit that if we were in a witch like situation, Black Philip would have totally gotten everything he wanted out of us. I would have like yeah probably because yeah yeah yeah. I'm ashamed. I even to like admit, stay at yeah. work nowadays. I even tell people like, oh dear, Black Philip, I cannot today. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went on a date the other night and the guy, when I said, he was asking about the show and I explained what we do. Um, he was like, oh, cool. Have you done an episode about the witch? That's my favorite. And I was like, oh, he can get it. Wow. <laughs> Instant points. It's my favorite too. Wow. That's the line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Taking notes. Taking notes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so um, that and he did know like a few answers in trivia that I didn't know, so that was helpful. I appreciate that. Is that is nice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Clay, did you go? So, did I go? I, no. Yeah, he was singing show tunes. I yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> but that wasn't his pick. I was just contributing. Um, I <laughs> I think. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was something like in sync or like it would have to be like it would have to be like like a boy band or of something, you know, just to Ooh, like, what if I want your soul now? <laughs> what if it were like the bait, you know, when the, you know how like there's always that breakdown over the instrumental where the guy who sings bass is like, Hey baby, yeah. like that one is like, you know, I never do nothing like that to you. Like what if it sounded like that? Yeah. Would that be good or bad? Better or worse? Better or worse? I mean, I feel like it has to when I when I think of like the exorcist and I think of like all the voices coming out all at once. So there's like you know like you know there's like a, like a chorus going on. If it was all of them just being like boys to men or uh, what is the new direction or like mm-hmm. One Direction? That's what it is. Is it One Direction? That's one. That's one. one. That's yeah. One. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. Um, I feel like it has to be all of them kind of speaking at once in some like, I don't know, you know, yeah, East Coast harmony. Yeah. And so we've come to the end of your soul. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. like, what is it? Color me bad. Ooh, <laughs> I want to eat oh. you up. Come <laughs> That song confuses me a lot because there's a straight up line that's like, we can do it till we both wake up. From what? (laughs) What? Why were neither of you awake? (laughs) Are you awake? You awake, honey? No, no, you're not awake either because we both have to wake up. What's going on there? How is that fun for anybody? Uh I want to sex you up all night. It's a fun song, yeah. but that line every time just like stops me cold. And I'm like, what? But isn't like the next song they're going to go out for breakfast or something? Like, wait, we won't wake up and then I'll make you an omelet. No. <laughs> no. I don't believe that any of the members of Color Me Bad would make me an omelet in the morning. 
I don't. I'll make that. you a feta omelet. Maybe like an ego waffle. Would you like Ooh, the diced awesome. peppers in there? Yeah, yeah. We'll I'm go okay, Clay. to the okay, farmer's market. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pick up some vegetables to bring home. You can also buy his yeah. EP with the link to this episode. We'll link to Check that out his in the show. I, <laughs> I thought I was invited for my singing talents. I didn't know that I wasn't. <laughs> oh no, we welcome it that as well. Ooh, for sure. I want to talk about Exorcist all no, night. Guys. Yeah. It's time for Jake and Rosa's first impressions. <laughs> We're split down the middle. So Mary Kay and Clay have both seen this before. Uh, more than once have some history with it. Neither Rachel nor I had seen it at all before we watched it for this episode. So we've got kind of a good split of people who have like grown up with the exorcist knowledge and awareness and people who are seeing it for the very first time as adults with no real like context for it. So Rachel, were there any big surprises for you watching it this first time through? Um, I added in the outline. I'm just going to say it now and get it out of the way. Full disclosure, the first time I watched it, I was really high. <laughs> and first of all, I kept thinking I had to keep checking to make sure. No, I was having like a breakdown. Like I kept making sure. I'm like, am I watching the right movie? Because I was like, is this the mummy? Because I was not expecting for it to start out that way. I'm like, where are we? I thought yeah. there was like an exorcist yeah. happening. But um, but then I, I finally understood and then I finally got some traction. And I grew up watching movies, like scary movies, probably one of my like, formative years that I remember watching like detail by detail. And I th- knew it was like based off... Um, the Exorcist in a way, but I didn't, I never saw The Exorcist. I didn't know that detail by detail how close it was in proximity in that scene in Scary Movie to The Exorcist. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, surely this little possessed girl isn't going to be like, fuck me, fuck me. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> and then, is. like, it went further than it did in Scary Movie. And I'm like, oh, God. And it got to some point to when, and during The Exorcism, I'm like, if he climbs on top of her like he did in Scary Movie, I'm going to lose my fucking shit, too. <laughs> I was like, I'm too high for this. I can't handle it. I had a similar, I mean, not okay. I wasn't high, so it wasn't quite that intense for me. But I definitely had, I kept having the experience of like pausing it to check how far into the movie I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, it climaxes There's no way late. we're st- I was like, there's no way we're still in Iraq. We're eight minutes into a two-hour movie. Yeah. What's going on here? We haven't even made it back to the country where the things happen. Right. Then I was like, we are, this movie is called The Exorcist. We are halfway through the movie before there is even any real suggestion that an exorcism will happen. And I was like, this is, this pacing is like blowing my mind. Hmm. And I, well, we can come back to this a little bit later when we're actually talking structure, but I feel like if this were made today, it would look and feel like it would move really differently than it does. Um, and I don't know. I'm not saying that's a better or worse situation. Right. It's just, just a different. I'm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like okay. generationally, I'm accustomed to my movies. Yeah, I mean, that's the first thing they teach you in a screenwriting class, right? Get in late, get out early. You want to start mm-hmm. the scene as late as you possibly could start the story element mm-hmm. as 
like close to the main action as you possibly can. Right. While still giving any necessary context. And then you want to leave while the action's going on. I think Shakespeare said that. Get in late, get out early. You think no? Shakespeare said that? Probably. You would have. All of his tragedies started with like supernatural shit happening, so. Well, I, you know. Like, I, shut up, you drunk fucks. Watch. Well, like, Macbeth, <laughs> Macbeth starts with like. <laughs> Macbeth I, I, goes quick, man. Like, it takes 10 minutes from Macbeth to be like meeting witches to murdering a fucking king in his own house. Like. That's it, what I'm saying. It cooks. It, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love the pace of it. And I think the, you know, if the exorcists were made today, it would be something like the devil inside or, you know, the last mm-hmm. exorcism. Um, I, I do think it, that movie has been made time and time again. And it's just called the exorcism of Emily Rose or something, mm-hmm. something else. Huh. But I, you know, I think William Freakin uh, was very conscious of wanting to, you know, I, I think, I think I remember reading an interview where like, I mean, this was after the French connection, you know, mm-hmm. his, his kind of, his documentary style where it's just like, you know, pulling back so much of the the camera and letting, letting the kind of action kind of, kind of slip in. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I think it was very, you you get kind of lulled into this, this kind of complacent state of like, you know, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, but there's like a a foundation being laid down pretty, Mm -hmm. you know, from the get go. Um, and it's funny because I, I actually, <laughs> I m- made the mistake, I'm going to say it, of watching the director's cut um, for this. Oh, the version you've never seen? Yes, yes. Which yeah. I actually think is inferior to the uh, the original. Yeah. Once um, well, Friedkin has said that he prefers it. I think he's just saying that to be nice. I think he was so <laughs> not nice for so long that, uh, you know. Well, yeah, he... Uh, I think he he initially said that he didn't want to do that, that he didn't want to put the scenes back in, that he thought it affected the the film poorly. Then it was released, and over time, he has eventually said, like, yeah, I actually think it's better. I think it's better for him. I think William Peter Blatty chipped and chipped and chiseled away until (laughs) William Freakin finally said, fine, I'll do it your way. And I I think it was... I, I think Freakin was right. Everything that was not in the original that got added into the subsequent... Uh, mm-hmm. the, the the version you've never seen before. It's unnecessary. Like, I, I feel like it's, yeah. a, you know, I, we're only talking about, t- what, 10, 12 extra minutes, but it, it did mm, feel, right. uh, it doesn't advance the story in any way, and, and in a lot of respects, it makes it more... Are there any examples that jump out at you? Well, the I think there are three big, big examples. Uh, the, the primary one, and I think the only reason to watch the... The, the more recent version is the the spider walk scene, the spider, walk, yeah. the spider crawl. Um, What's that? Uh, Don't like that. Have you? Don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen it? You. I have seen that cut, like yeah. that piece in of the director's it, cut, because like, mm, she walks right at you. Yeah, and then she goes. I have seen that. Like that. I have oh. seen that scene. I have not seen that cut, but I had seen Same. that before. I'd ever yeah. seen the movie. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, so it was originally shot to be included in the the movie, right? They had hired a a contortionist to perform this stunt. um, But to make it work, she had to be, she was like, she was on cables, right? For her safety. And uh, there was no way for them to get the cables out of the shot to Friedkin's satisfaction. Mm. So it's not that he didn't want to use the scene. It's that he did not feel that quality wise, they could make the effect work. 
So even though the contortionist did this super cool shit, they, they, they weren't able to use it. And then he added that one back in because, you know, now they could digitally remove the cables. But it's, it I, just disrupts the, the whole flow of the movie. It's not building up to the, the actual exorcism, which I think is so much more powerful. Uh, it's, it's just this, this kind of like stark kind of like shocking mm-hmm. moment. I don't know. Like, I, I think it, it kind of, it just gets in the way of its own momentum. That makes sense. I feel like the backbending in general is very scary to me when it happens out of nowhere like that mm-hmm. I loved when I was in high school being able to at any given moment just like throw myself back into a backbend because <laughs> it would just freak everyone out you know and I think that I mean I, I totally get where you're coming from and yet uh, in the black coat's daughter that was the most unsettling moment to me have y'all mm-hmm. seen that I know we're not really talking about that but when um she just like She's laying on her stomach in the bed, and then her legs come over her head. It's like, oh, uh, mm, 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 mm. exactly. Like it's, it's, it's like a a really no. stock thing to do now, but very effective, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Anyway, but then there's like a lot of additional. I, I think William Peter Blatty comes from a more uh, maudlin kind of show like he's he's more of a a highfalutin kind of chatty Cathy kind of guy where like uh, there Mm -hmm. are a lot of scenes of you know exchanges uh between the i'm blanking on the the detective's name detective marin maybe no no not father 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 marin detective uh kinderman kinderman Mm -hmm. um there's so many scenes where he's like, I got movie passes. You want to go see a movie with me? <laughs> and he can't convince any he's of these priests to come see these films with him. They're like, I've seen it already. And he's like, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, <laughs> it just feels of a, a, a certain kind of stylistic, more presentational. Uh, it, it just took me out of the movie because it was more about like, you know, I feel like this is going to be the beginning of a good relationship between us. Right, it's very noir feeling. I love that voice, too. That's the voice I use when I talk about Detective Kenderman. You better go call the detectives right now. (laughs) Um, Just the facts, (laughs) ma'am. Sound like Janet Snakehole there, Mary Kay. (laughs) (laughs) And they'll never have my body, either. (laughs) So we've talked a little bit about uh, some differences between like some kind of stylistic choices or structural choices that we think probably would not be executed in the same fashion today. What what holds up especially well and what doesn't? Well, I think like exactly what Clay was kind of saying that I think that in this film, I know like today it doesn't hold. I, I don't think it doesn't hold up. I think it's that pacing that we don't see as much today where they just go. A family comes into a house they just bought totally discounted price and then like weird stuff starts <laughs> happening right from the jump like really weird stuff but i really loved the small build-up because like the first thing i think that happened was when she said um there's rats and he's like no there's not rats oh they're clean oh and then they're clean rats you know like the very slow progression of things and then she wakes up and then her daughter's in her bed she goes well my bed was shaking it seems like a very like like uh, whatever and just tossed off and it's just like it builds and builds and builds and i think that's excellent story making and i wish that we saw you know more of that Mm. i felt like it holds up that part even though we don't see it so much anymore the pacing it something that didn't hold up something that stands out to me as 
one way that visual storytelling has has advanced, right? We've gotten a lot better, you know, at, at the, the language of film, how it works, how to put images in what order, how to frame them in what way to get the information you want across. Because Rachel texted us when she was watching at one point, and she was like, wait, what the fuck happened to Father Karras' mother? Hmm. Well, she was in a hospital, right. and then she wasn't. And I had the exact same experience that I was like, yeah, same. what? What? Did she? Which thing is I know true? He was, like, he was saying that he was going to get her out of there. But as far as we could see, like, based on what I understand the passage of time to be in this movie and how it works, I had no reason to believe he had actually successfully gotten her out of the hospital yet. So is one of these things true and one of them a hallucination? Is all of this true? It's just that more time has passed than I think. So he did get her out of the... I, I kind of walked away thinking, oh, he... It's just more time than I thought. It had been a week or so. He'd gotten her out of the hospital and brought her home to die alone. Yeah, I think the time and was... And that's what was, he feels so guilty about. The time was definitely truncated in terms of, of uh, Father Damien. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, a lot of it just happens off, off stage. Like, you know... Things mm-hmm. happen... Well, and that's what I mean. That Like, that can happen. I don't think that sequence of events was bad or wrong. But I do think that we've gotten better at indicating, at giving those little indicators for things like passage of time, those little mm-hmm. indicators for traveling, those little indicators for, like, this is going to be important later. We talked about mm-hmm. that, I think, with um, Hush, where it was mm-hmm. like every single thing that's going to pan out in Act 3 gets planted very cleanly in mm-hmm. Act 1, so you don't feel like you're being ham-fisted with it. Right. But you... But it also gets to pay off instead of feeling like a deus ex machina. So I think in this case, I, I was glad that I got to watch it twice because there were definitely things that that were a payoff, but I didn't catch the first time. Not because I wasn't watching, but because they were right, set up in a course. way that was pretty, that was very, not so much subtle as like unclear. Yeah. And I think, but I, I, do, I don't think that that's a function of poor storytelling. It was just the kind of thing that I was like, oh, yeah, like I, this would have been this would have been a common way to do this mm-hmm. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you know, and now would probably just be handled differently because yeah. um, we have a different shared vocabulary now. Well, if you think about it, it seems like they're trying to tell three, if not four different stories at the same time. Mm-hmm. There's the story mm-hmm. of Father Marin, the exorcist. Mm-hmm. There is the story of Father Damien. There's the story of Reagan and his mother. And then there's the story of Detective Kinderman. And if you think, if you could almost view the movie through the prism of each of those particular characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at a certain point, they all kind of coalesce into one film. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But at least for the beginning, uh, you're you know, that, that kind of discordant quality of like, why are we, you know, why are we in Iraq? Why are we watching this? Like, what does this have to do with what's to come? And I feel like that's, that's the kind of the strength of the film that you're, Mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of left with all these kind of disparate elements. And then you have to kind of bring them together into one macro narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, But the one that always sticks out for me, I think is uh, detective Kinderman uh, just because he has, you know, he he's the kind of the most grounded character quote unquote because he's the one with the simplest or the most meat and potato task at hand which is to solve a murder mm-hmm. like he's not brought right. in until the the director is killed uh or dies right. um and then you he's like i i you know i i got to find out who who you know how this director killed himself or did he was he murdered right. and you know his head was spilled and spun around um, I'm losing the. I voice. love it when you do that voice. Yeah, I got a crime to love correct. The 
Is it close? It's not close. I'm totally like murdering whatever it noir. Sounds good. I'm, oh yeah, it's. <laughs> I feel it's like it's really John Mulaney. It sounds good now. to me. <laughs> it's real entertaining. Yeah. yeah, you sound like John Mulaney trying to do a mid-Atlantic accent. That is <laughs> that is accurate to what's happening. I am a William Peter Blatty character doing John Mulaney doing a noir doing a yeah mm-hmm. Maltese fact Falcon. Mm-hmm. It's it's murdered mm. on Adult yeah. Swim. On Adult Swim. For me, I, I've thought about this a lot because the movie is titled "The Exorcist," right? Not the exorcism, right? right. Not the demon, not Reagan, right? Not right. Like the exorcist, and we begin the movie with Father Marin, but the only mm-hmm. character I think has a an actual arc. Like a, the character who like makes choices yeah. is transformed yes. by them and ends the movie in a different a different person, a different place, not because of things that happened at them, but because of choices they have made. Yes. Is, 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 uh, is Damien, Father Karras. Yes. And that's what I was going to say that I think does hold up. It's two conversations mm-hmm. or two scenes that he has, like the two most memorable scenes to me. And I, the first time I watched this was at least 10 years ago. Like I watched it against my will in undergrad in 10 minute increments in the middle of the day before and after praying or praying Mm -hmm. before and after because it was so freaky to me i still don't fuck with demons listeners will remember they're in my trifecta Mm -hmm. of shit i can't handle just like evil kids Mm -hmm. and then this one we have two anyway um or two of the three um Mm -hmm. but the the number one conversation that stood out to me is between father karis and chris uh reagan's mom Mm -hmm. um yeah when she (laughs) says uh aren't you supposed to be an expert and he says, there are no experts. Exorcism is not real. If you want an exorcism, I need a time machine to take you back to the 16th century. And that's really, to me, what came up as like, a, um, it was very interesting because I had forgotten that he was a psychiatrist as well. And I think that that's really scary storytelling um, and smart. But yeah, so that's typically what I think of when someone says that someone else is possessed is, well, you just don't know mental health, right? Like, like uh, they could be treated for something. It's probably schizophrenia or an explosive rage disorder or something like that. And Father Karras is telling this woman who's been to several psychiatrists, my daughter's mm-hmm. possessed. Like, I need your help. And even then he's like, well, I'll go talk to her as a psychiatrist, and then he asked like a couple of follow-up questions. And I think that whole sequence, which is probably what, like six or seven minutes, was the mm-hmm. part that made me be like, oh, I'm in. I'm invested. Like I care right, what happens exactly. because of what, because of his backstory, not really because of his mother so much, but because of his like mindset of this is not a demon. Yes, I'm a priest. This is not a demon. I'm going to help this child. Like that to me is a very noble position and an informed position, especially for like, when did this come out? The 70s? Late 70s? Mm-hmm. 71. Yeah. 71. Okay. Um, I mean, they were still smoking in the hospital. Like, it's that long ago. 73. <laughs> 73. <laughs> 73. Okay. Um, yeah, but I just, I remember seeing it originally and being like, oh shit, like he is the most informed that anyone could be and he still goes into it. So that convert, that whole like interaction really held up for me. And the other interaction that held up for me is the ending, which I think we're going to talk about later, so I'll save that. What does not hold up are the special effects. Sure. Of course. They're still gross. Of course. Like, it, yes. It's kind of, we talked about this in, in Evil Dead, right? Like, 
Does it look realistic? No. Do I want to be in a room with that ever? Absolutely not. <laughs> still the thing that really felt the realest out. Like uh, of the of the special effects that felt the realest is when Reagan's tongue, the black tongue, is coming out. Mm. Like even this time, I remember being like, "Oh, oh, oh no!" <laughs> it was so gross and visceral and absurdly sexually blasphemous. That I was like, why? What? Ew. Also, get that thing out of her. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. 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 So, so you guys, all right, you're, you're saying that that was the most provocative scene for you. I feel like the, the Mm, most unnerving, uh, uh, the most, the, the specialist of special effects, as far as I'm concerned, was the, uh, spinal tap. Like yes. I, yes. I think that scene yes. is Those two. probably yes. the most horrifying scene in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Because I I don't know if this is kind of a retroactive assessment of the scene, but watching it, I I I feel as if I'm making a case that that she is possessed, that there is something in her, and that modern medical science up to that point is the wrong way to go. So watching yeah. her go through this ordeal, this very painful yeah. ordeal. Oh my gosh. And they yes. slow it down and you're just yeah. watching it. There's no sound. There's no music to it. It's just strictly the like, you know, she's getting the blood. Oh yeah. When people yeah. fainted in the theaters at this movie, it wasn't when she was shoving a crucifix up in her vagina. It was during that scene. That's yeah. when people passed out in the theaters was during that medical sequence. Also, I think that guy is the murderer in real life, right? Yes. Wait, he what? Is. <laughs> yep. So the man who plays the the technician that interacts with her at the hospital. What? He was yep. he was a technician, a hospital tech at NYU, who was later convicted of luring a bunch of gay men out of clubs to murder them, dismember them, and dispose of them. Wait, and he was in a movie? Mm-hmm. So he was like, Bateson. "This is what I do. I like cut people up." And no, he didn't tell them that. Rachel. No. Oh. Also, I think those crimes <laughs> happened after the movie. But, but yes, he was did. a technician who did that. I think, and, and yeah, to your no, point, like I'm watching that, those that special effects are very realistic. He has the side gig of serial killing. And I he's think gonna go he was into... only convicted of one murder, but he confessed. He was to convicted others. of one, but he confessed to several, and they be- they believe. I believe he is considered to be responsible for at least six, but they believe that there are more. Yeah. But there are six that he has admitted to and he's convicted of one. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Which is wild. Like, yeah. And that's one of the reasons like that. And then the alleged curse on the set are one of the, are two of the reasons why I thought that this would be a good episode to have clay on for because his book yeah his book deals with like a cursed story or film and um i'm plugging it in the middle of the episode so (laughs) y'all go ahead and click in the show notes to go buy this book i promise you you won't regret it it's so good it's it's fascinating and it's so like indicative of our of our current like remake culture i think where it's like, it's something that you, like, that's one of the ones that I, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this movie is that it's been remade so many times and it's allegedly cursed. And it's the first, the first movie I thought of when I was reading the book was like, oh yeah, remember like this one and The Omen mm-hmm. were the two that I thought of the most. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, not that, that, not that the book really 
it is it undertakes that subject matter but those are the two that have been remade so much that were originally mm-hmm. cursed yeah. and kind of like carried the curse on i think so yeah go buy his book <laughs> <laughs> so we've yeah. gotten we've kind of taken all of this in talking about what was working and what wasn't we've really started diving already into like what is scary about this we've been talking yeah. about which elements are most upsetting to us and for me for me this movie still works because the heart of this story is Damien yeah for and sure the yeah. journey the journey that this particular person undertakes is deeply unsettling it is a horrifying a haunting question which is what if in the face of true evil you are the only one who can do something and the only reason you can do something about it is because you are broken yep what if you have to break and suffer yeah yeah to help and you will never get and you'll never it will never go away it won't stop you won't get any kind of absolution you won't get relief what if your suffering is what it takes? Because in this case, he if he were not such a, a, a da- he, if he weren't at such a place of, of doubt in his faith, yeah. if he right. had reached this he, point he where he's it. saying, I need to walk away, I need to leave the priesthood. If he had not lost his own mother, if he had not, and also then not to have just lost her, but to feel responsible, not just that she died, but that she died alone and scared, right. as opposed to being in a hospital where someone could have intervened. Right. Or him being there with her right he's he has to be in this horrible horrible place for him to be in the right space to even entertain the reality that this is in fact an exorcism and to be willing to to try and had he been in a in a better space he he might have just written chris off and walked away um so that's a really scary prospect to me that he (laughs) the best he gets is that he gets to confess his sins before he dies, so he doesn't. Oh, I was so relieved that that happened. I was so so grateful that the other priest came by, and he exactly. Like, oh my god, and that even, was such a relief and even to so, me. That you know, like <laughs> yes. even so, like that's that is such like it, it. It's heartbreaking, right? That 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 is the ultimate relief for him. Like, okay, well, you won't go to hell, but. He does. He's never going to get to see Reagan healthy. He's never going to get to feel healthy. He's never going to get to feel healed or whole from the, the experiences he's been through in the past couple of weeks. You know, unless um, you believe I'm in very... Exorcist Three Legion. Okay. Well, oh dear, I not don't. Legion. Oh fuck, that story fucked me up so much. Talk about Bugs Bunny eating through an apple core. The story about <laughs> Jesus casting the demons into a pig's. I, that, that's the one that that's the one you the don't prophet like elijah sent the bears to eat the kids that were disrespectful what? those were my mm-hmm. two like boogeyman stories growing up it was like I, I was obviously naturally pretty defiant as a kid so i'll be like i'm not ready to go to bed and my jado would be like um remember when elijah sent those bears to eat those disrespectful kids and i was like okay i'm ready to go to bed now <laughs> like German? I mean, <laughs> no. My mom's family is Catholic, no, though, so they have a lot of uh, <laughs> um, a lot of those like scary stories. But yeah, so that's really scary to me too, Mary. Because, but I didn't remember for some reason that scene with the confession. I did remember mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Father Kara shaking Reagan and saying, "Like, come into me." Which, yeah. from from what I've read of demons, which I did as sort of a therapeutic thing, because they're like an actual very real fear of mine, along with parking decks, because I fucking hate them. Um, 
is reading uh, The Right, that nonfiction yeah. book about, um, I well, think his I think name we've, is... We've, We've talked about this a little We've bit before. We've referenced that a few times, yeah. Yeah, um, Matt Baglia goes into, and I'm, I'm sure that I said his last name wrong, but um, he goes into uh, basically study how to exercise demons. And that that convention is a little bit different from the one in the movie. The movies is really scary because if it's your doubt that lets you be possessed. It's your lack of mm. conviction or faith that lets you be possessed in um, the right, and I'm sure also Catholicism, because that's, I mean, as far as I know, the most recent most that's been written about the act of exercising demons. Um, again, as far as I know, so I could be totally wrong, but um, it, it's not really, it doesn't really have anything to do with your faith. So, like, you could be a vessel for it, and as long as you didn't invite it in, you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of innocent of it. But he does. He does say, mm-hmm. come into me. And that, when I was yeah. watching it, I was like, no, <laughs> the father cares, no. Mm-hmm. But I was so glad that like after he fell down those stairs, the other priest came by and was like, do you want to confess? And he like, you know, gave some hand gestures to indicate that he was coherent. So it was very scary. And yet also like a somewhat happy ending because for a man of God, that's your best option, right? You sacrificed yourself for mm-hmm. the life of an innocent. And to be lucky enough that after that huge tumble that he's he has the capacity oh, to yes. even to even do that. Participate I felt like that was incredible. Guys, yeah. guys, I am so nerdy. Do you want to hear what I did ten years ago? On, oh, please uh, tell us. Yes, tell uh, us the nerdy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I went on a trip to DC to visit. Yes, I was hoping this is where it was going. Yes, and. <laughs> The only thing I no. wanted to do, I didn't go no. to any of the museums. No. I did not no, go to any tourist attractions short Clay, of going to Georgetown and paying a visit to the steps. And yes! I, I, I walked the steps. It is probably the <laughs> nerdiest thing I've ever done, but I had to I had to go. I wanted to see them and walk them. And be like, I am here. I I have yeah. witnessed. I have experienced. What was it like? They were tall. It's steep. I can see yeah. why you could break a neck going down those things. Um, I'd be too scared. I I mean, and they look slippery. Like it was. It was. Mm-hmm. You know, I went during the day, so it didn't have that full. But it was. It was right. definitely. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, they are there. Did- you can see them. Walk them. <laughs> Like it's like my mom used to say when I was coming down the stairs when I was a kid, do it on your bottom, sit on your bottom, and then slide down them so you don't fall for real. That would be a fun thing to do down those steps. <laughs> Just bottom slide right. all the way down. Just maybe put a like slinky. on like a trash can like <laughs> lid, maybe like to protect your bottom. I had a silk pillowcase, and I used to slide down the stairs head first. Oh like once I got, God. I think she did it because my hair was unmanageable as a child. Like I think that's why my mom gave me that pillowcase. But I used it to slide down the stairs at first. Well, I actually think you know, going back to the actual film, I yeah, watching it. <laughs> thank you. Watching, sorry, segue. no, thank um, you. Watching it a second time or fifteenth time, fiftieth time, uh, I I was actually taken by how early on in the possession. They're like, we want Father Karras. Like the demons go out of mm-hmm. their way to say, give us the priest. Like we want him. 
and I, I, I think there's, I think maybe one of the earliest moments, I don't know if it's the first or it's one of the first, but there's the uh, validation where they do the, the kind of authentication of the recording. And mm-hmm. yeah. they're, they're like, you know, oh, it's not a different language. It's English. It's just backwards. Just backwards. And then you hear what they're saying. And it's like, give us the priest. Give us Damien. Give us Tyler Karras. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and you're like, oh, wow. This has been the mission statement of this, of the film, of this possession. Like well, almost they, from the get-go. Also saying, they're also saying fear the priest repeatedly. And they start saying, they say Marin's name. They say both names, right? Yeah, I, okay. I I definitely remember them saying Marin because I remember thinking like, oh, because for some reason I did not know that that was Max von Sydow's name in the beginning. I was like, oh, that must be who they're talking about. If they're saying Fear the Priest and Marin, they must be talking about that dude. And they're scared of him because he could stop this. Mm. So I don't know if I just didn't track or if I was just like so fixated on that that I wasn't catching what else they were saying. Also, I've had like when terrible... He when they when the, he takes the recordings of Reagan, he believes she's speaking in oh, tongues, right, and he takes right, the recordings okay. to be validated. Um, but he, uh, I remember them saying that. But also, I've had really terrible allergies, and I need to pop my ears like every four <laughs> seconds. So it's entirely possible that I just literally only heard half of this movie. I don't know. They were like, "I have a dream." <laughs> <laughs> There's that one show tune demon in the back. Always is like, yeah. "I'm gonna belt out a song." Yep, every time. <laughs> I'm done. My that was my part. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that having me. That demon up. is my buddy. <laughs> so I okay. So I have another observation of like what worked and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, Bring it on. So Reagan is how old? Would you guys say? Would you guess? Because she, she has says a birthday. She's 12. Like she just turned twelve. She says twelve. Yeah, 13? she says twelve. Okay. Yeah. Um, it. So that was a really troubling thing for me because I know that adolescent girls throughout history and like cultural representations have been like a real problem because they're not technically sexual, but they are biologically. And um, to your uh, to your point earlier, Rachel, about that uh, scary movie kind of illusion to have like that young girl with the crucifix and there's blood everywhere. I assumed it was menstrual blood, but it didn't have to have been. Um, no, I assumed that I assumed she had just savaged herself and that's why she was bleeding. I mean, both things, it could have been both or either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but still like very unsettling very upsetting especially if I I mean if I had been 12 and seeing that let alone it happening to me that would have been traumatizing forever well Max von Sydow who plays uh, Father Marin was Mm -hmm. well known to be like an incredibly genteel and uh, he was just you know incredibly like very kind and dignified man and the first scene he had where Linda Blair actually had to like shout like fuck me at him he was apparently so taken aback because this little girl was shouting curse words at yeah. him. And that's not her voice in the movie, so she just sounded like a little girl. And it it took him so like by surprise that they like 
they had to like cut like he couldn't he didn't continue the scene he just like kind of freaked out for a second i think it would have been much scarier had it been her voice the whole time if it had been her voice because that was the most upsetting mm. part of the whole film to me you could talk about any part of this that was horrific or nasty the spinal tap was awful yes but to me i feel like the worst part was seeing this like not exactly prepubescent i guess like pubescent girl yeah saying this like she's turned 12 that's the time yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. exactly and screaming like fuck me fuck me and then like let jesus the scene with like let jesus fuck me or fuck you or whatever Mm -hmm. and then the point to where she even pulls her mom's head and it's like lick me lick me and it gets so it gets so like like sexually explicit that to me that was the most horrific part is to have to witness that Mm-hmm. on someone who who is a child yeah yeah and um i think that like bypasses any generation any timeline that if yeah so there's mm. there's a kind of a layer there i don't think it's as explicit as it could be in the movie and i've i've read that it is more overt in the book but the first thing i thought because you know worked in mental health for a while when reagan comes down the stairs in her pajamas yeah interrupts the party uh, yep. to to speak harshly to that director and then mm-hmm. piss herself was that man is touching he's abused that girl. Her. Yep. That's why she's asking if her mom's going to marry him. Yep. That's what she's that's what yep. she wants to know is he going to be around all the time? And I Ew. at that point at that point I wasn't sure if this was the demon acting or if Reagan is like sleepwalking and this is evidence that she is vulnerable, right? That she mm-hmm. is hurting and so she is compromised and this is how the demon can get to her as opposed to jumping into chris or jumping into someone else because i i kind of read that as this may not even be the demon yet this might be but the director wasn't there in that scene i thought she was saying that to the astronaut oh i thought the the tall guy i thought that that was the director he had already gone home he was already drunk he had already gone home at that oh i thought that's who she killed was the boyfriend. That is no, she that who she killed. No, she killed the director. But when you're talking about when she goes downstairs and says, you're going to die out there, she wasn't talking yeah. to the director because he had all She says, you're going to die up there, like in her room. Up there. Her, in her yeah. room, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Right. But she, I did I think, think that, that because of the bed wedding. Like reading stuff online, yeah. it said she was speaking to, there was an astronaut. The astronaut, I think, was like playing the piano or something. Oh. She said, you're going to die up there. The the okay. father was playing the, the the priest was playing the piano, right? Am I crazy? I don't remember. Okay. Anyway, Clay? honestly, all of this priest. is is kind of priest. adjacent to right, um, right, right, right. This conversation about sexuality and coming of age, right? Like, I a child that is twelve years old and has not been previously wetting the bed or wetting themselves starts doing it suddenly, and that is exactly where my head goes. Like, oh yep. no, we need to look at the adults in your life. Yep. You're not safe. Yep. yep. Um. So. I wasn't sure whether that was the demon acting or Reagan acting and like kind of Yeah, can we talk weak about that for, the for a minute? Like the fact that not not saying that this movie like is that there wasn't a demon all along, but um we already get like some notions that like with the idea of the father like coming like again, like there's some mis um information about like with his mom and everything was he hallucinating because he did sort of like he did have like these weird dreams and like happening Mm -hmm. but and then with 
the peop- the person that we're talking about who could have been, as we said, like abusing her, he apparently was babysitting her and I didn't, I had to like keep going back. I had to like watch this mm-hmm. scene a third time. I'm like, wait, when was he babysitting her? I don't remember him babysitting her. Like Chris, I thought it was so You bizarre. just see him afterward because the woman left, the babysitter left and the mm-hmm. mom comes home and she says, why weren't you up there with her? What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Her window's open. We're talking about open. the director, though, right? Yeah, yeah, and then that's when the babysitter's like, oh, well, he was watching her. When? So this is another, this is a good example, though, of, like, that kind of, like, visual storytelling language where, like, I, like I had a similar screen. kind of, like, need to backtrack and make sure that I got my facts straight because the way we got the information was not necessarily the most was it very yeah. straightforward? crystal yeah. clear. Yeah. A, a lot <laughs> right. of it happens off camera where you're basically... Right. Uh, uh, Reagan's mom comes home. There's uh, a f- a kind of a that you kind of jump into the scene halfway through, mm. and mm-hmm. uh, the nanny is not there, and she's like, "Why are you not up there?" And she's like, "Oh, because the director guy's up there. Didn't you know? Mm-hmm. Didn't you see him?" Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Ah," oh. and she's very dismissive oh, of oh. it. And then, and then after that moment, the the producer production guy dp guy someone from the film comes Shows in and, and he's like you've heard i take it that you know the bad news and they're like what bad news and they're like oh you haven't heard the bad news and mm-hmm. and then and they say yes. and then you know it's it's amazing how for a good 20 to 30 minutes you know you're you're kind of the audience is left to kind of uh draw the connection of whether or not reagan was responsible for this mm-hmm. death. For his death. And it's not yeah. until uh I'm blanking on Ellen Burstyn's character's name. Is it it's the Chris. Chris. The Chris. mother Chris. Chris makes this confession to Father Karras later of he killed Burke Dennings. He killed the director. Um and Well she says I think she says she did. Like she says she doesn't say the demon did it. She says Reagan killed him. Yeah, yes. So yeah. you know you 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 do get this sense that like you know, it, it's it's not it doesn't flow consistently through. But if you were to actually view the lens of this film mm. through the trauma of Reagan, mm-hmm. you you know there's scenes very very early on. There's this one scene in particular where uh, Chris is impatiently on the phone waiting for Reagan's biological father mm-hmm. to pick up. Yes, right, right. And she's like furious, and she's basically mm-hmm. yeah, like. It's Reagan's birthday and he hasn't called. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you're watching this scene play out where she's like yelling at the operator, yelling at the nanny, yelling at anybody who, because she's just so frustrated that Reagan's biological dad is not wishing Reagan a happy birthday. Uh, and then the camera just continues to pull back and pull back and pull back until you see Reagan yes. witnessing mm-hmm. this, watching hearing and this, listening. eavesdropping. And Chris yes, doesn't know. Nobody else point. knows. And like, it's the... F- you know, this is so early on in the film that you're kind of aware that Reagan is uh, processing the, mm-hmm. the the kind of the the schism of her own parents, uh, and, and it's at a place within the movie where like the things that happen subsequently could be kind of filtered through this perspective of like, oh, she's reacting to uh, mm-hmm. familial trauma. She's reacting mm-hmm. to. And it's, I, I think it's just a way of kind of providing plausible deniability or, or exactly. a, you know, like this is not 
possession. This is actually a child uh, dealing with trauma. Right. Well, and she, um, that's the thing. Like, she doesn't kill just anybody. She kills the person who, and like I said, I, I feel like in the movie this is subtle, but when I found out the book says it more overtly, I was like, validation! <laughs> um, <laughs> it did the Captain Holt validation, though, like the good one. Um, and uh, so she kills the person who is abusing her. Right? Like, there's just enough of a question mark there that, like, if her head weren't spinning all the way the fuck around on camera, we, you know, you might think, well, is it, are we sure? Is it, or is this what Chris needs to believe or wants to believe? But no, we can actually see her spitting up pea soup, so I'm, I'm good. Um, I will, I will buy it. Pea soup is the best way to describe that, by the way. It is. That is actually it's what it actual. is. It's actual. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. You're yeah. They tried Cam- No, they tried Campbell's, but they didn't like it. The texture. They had to go with a different brand. One of the things that I thought of, um, speaking of like coming of age and femininity, is that there was an actual teenage girl playing this role. And that mm-hmm. was upsetting to me because I was like, how, how, what, whose parents signed off? Who, what director was like, yes, this is a fine thing to do. Like it just seemed. Yes, it just seemed very... Clay's face right now. Go I on. Mean, she, <laughs> she, uh, she had to travel with security. Like, the, the studio paid for security for her for, like, a full year after the movie was released. Seriously? Because she was getting... Yeah, she was getting, like, death threats and stuff because she was... Uh, I wasn't even saying with, that. It was just so... No, I just mean that, like... Sexual... It is. I mean, what happened on camera, what happened off camera, the whole experience, I'm saying. Like, front to back. This thing, like, fucking nuts. Yeah, she had to travel with security because she was getting death threats for consorting with the devil and putting the devil's work out there on camera. You know, like, the 12-year-old is really the most responsible party. I think that's honestly, like, what reminded me the most of, um, or opposite. Like, Clay's book reminded me of that because... Available now um, in bookstores? (laughs) (laughs) yeah the remaking so the character in in your book as well as as uh linda blair it's something that they'll always be known for that happened when they were 12 and that just seems like or i don't think jessica was 12 in the in the book she was she was nine but yeah yeah i mean totally like i yeah I, i mean i i i'd be lying if i didn't say like i was totally taking a card out of uh linda blair's playbook like this is yeah i mean i i have only kind of i don't know if how deep of a dive i did but like it it is amazing to kind of pontificate on just the the experience alone of making this film in particular then the reaction of that film in particular uh and then the subsequent kind of ensuing decades worth of fandom and the kind of the stigma of it, the trauma Mm -hmm. of it like this. I, I, I have to assume there's a reason why Linda Blair hasn't done many other films outside of the genre, let you know, or just in general. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, there are, I I believe that like this film, I, I just imagine what it must I can't imagine what it's like to be Linda Blair I can't right. so as bad as all of this was for Linda Blair on so many levels the person who was actually performing like half of that fucking role was Mercedes McCambridge and she was not credited 
Not initially. That's what I found so bizarre. She did the vocal performance of the demon. So anytime Reagan is speaking and it is not Linda Blair's child voice, Mm -hmm. it is Mercedes McCambridge. Mm -hmm. Mercedes McCambridge was a veteran actress, had done a lot of great voice work. And when she was offered this role, when they when they approached her to do this and she read the script and she understood, she had a very clear sense going into this movie of what it was and what it could be. Not everyone did. The studio basically looked at the dailies every day and were like, cool, gibberish, whatever. Um, she knew, like, this is this is a whole ass thing. And she thought, you know what? I know exactly what the devil sounds like. Because I have been sober for a decade. The devil sounds like what I was like when I drink. Damn. So she went into the studio and had them tie her to a chair and funnel booze into her mouth. She gave up her sobriety. She gave up her sobriety and swallowed raw eggs to get that really like strange, like coated garlic-ish quality and had them strap her to the chair while she recorded. Are you serious? Yes. That is what it sounds like. And she, she gave this performance. She went back to not drinking. And when she, so she wasn't initially credited. So it was kind of a slow trickle before the news was really shared widely Mm -hmm. that she had given this performance. And it messed all this shit up because there was talk of nominating Linda Blair for an Oscar. And then it became a huge controversy. Can we do that? If she didn't give half the performance we're talking about. Mm. I did think that Linda Blair's performance was great too, though. She's, oh, she's, Mm. oh no, she's incredible. The question just became, could you separate from like part of the role? Yeah. Yeah. Like how could you, could you in good faith nominate her and then not mention Mercedes McCambridge at all? Can you separate that element from the performance and still make the case that. But also did they put the face on her? So whenever I looked up her in like Pazuzu, um, <laughs> I get that that face when um, the priest is having that dream that he's seeing his yeah, mother. Yeah, the, the white. Yeah, and like the yeah the <laughs> exactly that's the mm-hmm. best way to describe it. The <laughs> it happened so fast, and was that was that her actual was that the actress's face? Uh, it was a rejected screen test for the possible, um, for Linda Blair's possible makeup, I think. Really? That, or they, they considered using that, like having that more ubiquitously, and then they didn't use it. But I believe it was a rejected makeup test. <clears throat> and I also have a question about that scene. So when we're talking about back to, you know, things that hold up, is that I typically avoid watching old movies. I don't I don't have a good familiarity with them. But when it comes to like that quick flash where you almost don't even see it, mm-hmm. um, this is the oldest movie I've seen where they do that. Um, so to me, I felt like that was very interesting because I've only seen it in movies more my time. And that whole scene where he's calling out to his grandma, and it's like this cut shot. First, you see her walking up. And you don't see her turn around. It's just all of a sudden there's the face and then him and then a cut shot of her walking down. And that was something I thought was really incredible because this was, we said 1973. And Mm -hmm. I've seen this done well in movies. 
I don't know, done like last year when other elements weren't holding up as well as other elements in this movie. And when I saw mm. that, I was surprised and I didn't realize that certain tactics like that were happening mm-hmm. back in the 1970s. It, and I so thought that was incredible. They actually, th- those were the, like early experiments in subliminal messaging, which we now know is like not much of a thing. Um, <laughs> but they used it in the movie. They also used it in the advertising for this movie. And a lot of the like trailers or advertising was banned because really? it had those like subliminal messaging style like flashes you can actually find it. them um, on youtube now they're they're we're quite, gonna link yeah. them in the show notes yeah. that's oh i bet mm-hmm. they're they're quite uh-huh. effective still uh and they focus they lean mm. pretty heavily on that uh subliminal moment i mean i i remember talking <laughs> i remember talking to my mom about this uh this particular thing and she watched it and like you know there, i feel like there was just like this urban legend of the time where everybody assumed there was more in the film than there actually was mm-hmm. and it's because mm-hmm. of those those suggestive moments um i i feel like i remember hearing stories of like you know they had that that william Freakin had uh inserted shots of dogs attacking one another those those the the dogs from Mm. iraq like will manifest themselves in in certain times uh in the Mm -hmm. in georgetown and then even even in the the version that you've never seen before the 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 director's cut he inserts these obnoxious faces he superimposes the faces of father Mm -hmm. uh marin at certain points And and it and it's all there uh, and and the that that flash of the the the, the demon or, or or devil or whatever he is, mm-hmm. uh, he comes in at a at a point when uh, Chris turns on the lights in the kitchen, and I I I don't know if there's any validity to them other than what people remember they think they remember <laughs> rather than what they actually saw, but I think that's the strength and the potency of the movie where yeah. you are you are projecting that image of that, that demonic face anywhere you Mm. go, like beyond the movie. Like it's, it's, it's such a kind of like Mm -hmm. iconic freeze frame. And I, I love that. I love, you know, in the original, I love it. I don't like that. He expands it. And you have to see the, the, the original trailer because it, it, it is, uh, a, uh, uh, it will give you epileptic fits for sure. Because oh, dang. It's, okay, oh, we're going to link to it yeah. in the show notes for sure. <laughs> Just like, don't warning. watch it if you have a seizure disorder. Yeah. Right, yes. We've been talking a lot about some of the characters. We've jumped through with uh, Reagan, both Linda Blair and Mercedes McCambridge. We've talked a fair, mi- fair amount about Father Karras up until now, but I'd like to dig a little bit into that because we've discussed him as kind of like the, he's kind of like the anchor, right? Like he's the... Right, he's the, the like. It's really his line. journey, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, um, Rachel, you have an interesting note here. Would you like to expand on that? Yes, I do. But first, I want to ask the question: Why the detail about him being a boxer? Like, is he Rocky Balboa? Like, is he does just because like it's him. hot? I think. But I mean, like, why? I just thought I it was because he was hot. It's it's a metaphor. It's him wrestling oh, with his me. own faith. <laughs> yes, your thing. Yes, that's more. <laughs> no, must be. Yep. But that's like that's <laughs> no, that. I really felt like they just needed to explain why a priest was hot. 
But in the in the detail that I wrote, that's it's really what we've already been over. Is like I don't understand a lot of the details that came out in the movie. For like the one I just gave is that why was he a boxer? Like yeah, he's fucking hot. Um, he's a paradox. Then- he's everything. He's two things all at once. He's the sexy priest. He's the you know, he's the the psychologist in the priest. Like, it's like a weird. But kind there's of... like so many things. Like, he's a he's a boxer. He's a psychologist. He's Larry, a what are you doing? He's like, he's straddling two different worlds. He's a man of faith, and he's a man worlds. who's lost his faith. Like, I I think he's I, yeah. You know, he's in it's this so perfect true. liminal space between like. A, a man of the cloth and a man of the flesh. And I think that's yeah. it's like really powerful mm-hmm. to see him. I mean, I'm kind of half joking here, but like no, to see him physically really, like though. grapple. Powerful. I just don't think we see enough of the man of the flesh. No, but honestly, <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I don't think we see enough about like enough of him in his like secular world. Like we see him training. Yes. But who doesn't run? Like everybody runs, even priests. I don't. Run. It doesn't We're jogging. I don't run. But when I, I used to, keeps but it you sucks. keeps you healthy. But at what cost? There's at that what one, cost, Chris? There's the one scene where he's uh, doc. Uh, what is it? Detective Kinderman is like waiting for Father Karras. He's at the the jogging track, and he's jogging. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the line, but he's like, "I was told you'd look like a sexy Paul Newman or something like that." Um, I was do people he, tell you like, you, you look, look like, like yeah you look whoever. like and you look, he goes oh you know he looks like Paul Newman yeah. and it's <laughs> I mean like he, he's it's cute and I mean I think that there's a certain attraction between uh, Father Karras and Chris like I think that they it's very very subtle but I do think that there's mm-hmm. a little bit like hey you're not like the other priests she even asks mm-hmm. about him at a part at the dinner party she's like hey yeah. who's that sexy priest mm-hmm. who's always boxing and jogging and sweating yeah when she asked about that at the party <laughs> I was on the same vibe sounds, as you Clay, who's that sweaty priest like, why is she asking because like nothing weird's happening with her daughter yet right. so the only reason reason that she's asking is that like mm, I saw that sexy that? Mm. she's very like flea bag after the hot priest in that mm-hmm. moment oh yeah definitely she's like yeah. he's very intense looking yeah <laughs> I like that MSMR vibe you got right there <laughs> Clay's description of how this woman puts that they're like who's that priest that's always jogging and boxing and sweating sounds yes. very much like something i would actually say to another yes. human being <laughs> yes. like not 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 even it really does i feel like you've said that to me personally yeah. before yeah but isn't i think amazing? that's accurate i mean like you contrast like he's either sweating or he's like giving benediction and I, I mean, like, yeah. I, like there are those like quiet scenes where like he's giving, I, you know, I'm forgive me my my lack of knowledge of uh, Catholicism, but like he's he's leading the prayer, he's doing the thing in front of everybody, he's doing mm, the yes, sermon. Yes, he is. Um, and then the next scene, he's like, uh, you know, sorry, I'm late. I was boxing. I didn't have a chance to shower. Oh, so he just do it all. So while we're talking about it, that's the perfect thing for a man to say to me. See, that's what I'm looking for. So while we're sorry, I'm late. I was boxing. No, sorry, I'm late. I didn't shower. Duh. So Mary, what's what's the actor's name again? Hmm? Jason Jason Miller. Miller. 
Jason Miller. Right. So can we talk about like how he got the role? Because I feel like that's some like dishy stuff. Tell me about it then, please. <laughs> oh, so like, okay, so I thought Mary had this because Mary is like, okay, if you if you've been a regular listener, you know that Mary, like, she's in to all of the film stuff. Like, I'm, I'm putting, I'm butchering it, but she's incredible. Oh, I think you might, I think I might know what you're referencing. When. The director. See, I don't even know the name. I'm butchering it. I'm trying to William, be as William, good as Mary. And he left. Are you him, talking? A, he was. Oh, no, no, no. We're talking about slightly different things. The book. Because uh-huh. he, he's the director. I think it was the director saw him on Broadway or saw him in a play, and he left him the book. He's like, I think this would be good for you, and he walked away. And the actor was like, he like uh. Miller, he brushed it off, but then they already signed another guy to play the character. And later on, when he read it, he goes, no, this is me. I have to do it. And they kept saying, well, no, we already signed this guy. But then when they watched him, they eventually bought out the other guy's contract so that Miller could do it. And do we know who that other hmm. guy is? Um, they gave his name on Wikipedia. It starts with a K. Cool, that's that's plenty. That's plenty. I'm good now. I thought you were going to talk about the fact that uh, um, another little fun bit of trivia regarding the whole Sal Mineo quip um, is that at this point, in 1973, uh, Sal Mineo, he's an actor, he was one of the most like recognizably queer public figures. Like most actors were not mm. out in 1973 and just a year before the movie came out Salminio had put, like in a magazine interview discussed being bisexual mm. so this could also be a quip like like a dig at the father hmm. about that Jason Miller was a playwright he uh he was mm-hmm. I mean The Exorcist was his first film he he started off writing film uh plays and I think his one of his better known plays if not his most best known was something called the champion season i think it was a play about football yeah um and i think he won that's the one he that's actually one. won god did he win the pulitzer or the he won i mean it, it's a it was at its time a very well known that's um, the one mm. where he saw him and um he left him a copy of the book the exorcist he he won both the pulitzer and the tony for that actually wow there you go mm-hmm. um but yeah, I mean, and then it's funny because like he actually, he and William Peter Blatty really kind of befriended one another. Like he was in, mm-hmm. not only was he in Exorcist 3, uh, The Heretic or The Le- Legion, sorry, not not part two, mm-hmm. uh, but he was also in um, this other film that William Peter Blatty did, which he wrote, produced, directed, did the whole nine miles called The Ninth Configuration, uh, which is also a really... I, I, it's a good film to kind of see on its own terms. But uh, yeah, like I, I think uh, Jason Miller, you know, The Exorcist made him, uh, but he had this it, completely alternate alternate reality lifestyle where he was a writer. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't until William Friedkin took him, stole him and made him yeah. into what we know today. Well, he, he went on, he went back to theater. Like that's, that was kind of like where the bulk of his career was, but he did turn down the lead in Taxi Driver. 
Really? And it was Robert De Niro? Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, um, to answer your question, it was um, Stacy Keach. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Who, and then they bought out his contract because they thought Miller would be the better one after all. That's so funny because Stacy Keach was actually in the ninth mm -hmm. configuration mm -hmm. with Jason Miller written and directed by William Peter Blatty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my God. Y'all should see Rachel's rock star hands right now. That was amazing. Only because I just now looked it up. <laughs> Not because I'm a true fan. I was just like, <laughs> yeah. it's all connected guys. Mm -hmm. We are in the matrix. Um, I was surprised that he was Catholic and not Orthodox mm. once he was established mm -hmm. as Greek. It's just an oh interesting thing. Oh, my God. Did, thing anyone, did anyone else have the knee-jerk reaction when he said, uh, I think it was the Dominicans? And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, my racism. God. Oh, no, he's talking about Dominican priests. That makes sense. That makes more sense. The okay. friars. He's talking <laughs> about the okay. friars. But he's, he's, Jesuit, yeah, he's Jesuit, right? Isn't yeah. that what he said? Yeah. Okay. Which is a little different. I don't really understand the nuance of the different. Uh, but Jesuits do hospitals, right? But that's all I got. I don't. Know. Is that? Oh, I think that makes is that sense. Right? Listeners, please fix us. We don't know anything. I think Franciscan does service to the ill. Okay. And hungry, I think. But that's. You know? But guys, I really guys, remember. I think we're leaving the most important thing on the table, and that is that uh, his. Son, you know, Jason Miller was responsible, at least partially responsible, for the birth uh, or the insemination of none other than Jason Patrick, actor in his own right and star of The Lost Boys. Um, oh my God. Oh, what? He was girl. Michael in The Lost Boys. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you, Clay, for that. Oh my God. That's his dad. That's his son. Oh, That's, wow. uh, yeah. I did not know that. Um, That's funny. Are you not, not talking about the, the sexy sax player, though? Not <laughs> sexy sax. I'm talking character. about okay. Michael. 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 Okay. Yes. You know. Okay. And it looks like okay. him. That, they look like I each other. I just want that girl's like hair. If you, if you kind of do a compare and contrast, yeah. they've, they've got some uh, cheekbones. Yeah, now that you've said it, I, I won't know. be able to unsee mm -hmm. it. Welcome to the Matrix. You took the red pill. Um. <laughs> Uh, speaking of nationalities, though, for real, I do want to talk about. Do we? Do we already talk about the large section set Let's in get Iraq? Into it. I, why? That's exactly <laughs> how why? I feel. That's exactly how I feel. I spent a, a fair amount of time in between viewings, kind of trying to reconfigure. Like, okay, if that stands out to me as like, whoa, that that can't have been the best use of ten minutes of screen. What information did I get and how, like, fine, how would you do it differently, Mary? How would you do it better? And when I rewatched it, I was like, I think I wouldn't. I think I just wouldn't do it. I didn't not, it's not like I didn't enjoy watching it, but it's just, it's a, it's a long yeah. chunk of time with very little actual information. It's more like atmosphere than information. I, I like I said, I, I think that pacing as pacing and as, shared uh storytelling language has evolved i think there's probably i think it's likely that someone like me watching it today for the very first time would be like i don't need all this man i'm good i got it <laughs> Ooh, mysterious and bad got it like 
um, or that we would find a, a really efficient way of trying to get what information we needed. Because when we came all the way back around to Father Marin in the last 10 minutes of the movie, I was like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. But, okay. Like, if I didn't remember but, anything that happened in Iraq, and I didn't really care, because I was like, oh, you told me. This is a priest who knows how to do exorcisms. But, but, Yay! but, 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 but. Yes. But. Yes, counterpoint, There go. is an amazing moment in that, which is they're doing the archaeological dig. They mm-hmm. find all these little, mm-hmm. like, tokens and, and fragments of, of ancient artifacts. Mm-hmm. And in there mm-hmm. is a something that sticks out, and it's of a different time period. Mm-hmm. And it's a mm-hmm. Catholic, uh, it's a medallion. It's the, it's mm-hmm. a, uh, yes. Scapular. And, uh, it's Father Caris's. So, mm-hmm. you know, you go to the end of the movie and he's like, take me, take me. And, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Linda Blair, Reagan rips, yeah. <gasps> I didn't rips put that off that's and it falls. And there's... Right, mm-hmm. and that's... But that's Wait, my issue, right? Is Mary that... Kay just said, I didn't, I didn't put that together. I had no memory of that being found. So what does it get you? Like, what was... Was it worth the 10 minutes of time if we can get all the way through multiple viewings of this movie and never have noticed that the thing happened? But I have a question, um, which I think it's it's fine that I didn't mm-hmm. notice it. I think that's fine. Um, I thought it was a scapular, and now I'm thinking maybe it was St. Christopher the Protector yeah. that was torn off mm, of that him. That makes sense. Um. So Ooh, is this an amulet situation? Is that what an amulet is? Did we ever find out what amulets are? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just like a symbolic Clay, do you thing. know what amulets are? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what is an amulet? A, a thing with a jewel and you like hold it up and you say, I have <laughs> the amulet. <laughs> I have recovered the amulet. The amulet is mine. The power. Um, <laughs> it's like continuing lightning starts coming at your eyeballs. You're on everything trying to kill you. But the, it's the metal. It's the metal of Saint Christopher, yeah, and it like in his dream, in his okay, in, the, in the dream when when mommy's is like cr- climbing up the subway station, and then you see the flash of the demon. There's a shot mm-hmm. of uh, his metal yeah. dropping, and it's only three moments. You have those right. three moments. You have the moment in Iraq mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, this doesn't. This is of a different time period. And then you have the dream sequence where you see his medallion fall through the air. And then at the very end, you have the moment where Reagan rips the... And that's the moment where he's possessed. That's the moment where it's like... And he comes in. he doesn't have the And it's like, boom, boom, boom. And I, you know, they're, they're placed out very systematically throughout the movie. Yes, there's no way that you would mm-hmm. remember something like that from the beginning of the film because it's so embedded in this this dense, yeah. you know, prologue. And yet like it's mm-hmm. always been about Father Karis. It's been about him. Like he they're coming mm-hmm. after him. And it's like the evil like I mm-hmm. I I look at that moment in Iraq and I'm, I'm and I'm, it's like oh like the the Pazuzu Pazuzu has been released. Like it's it's amazing how like it it, it basically initiates something and brings it I mean, full it's circle. A, it's a very cool idea. And when you relay all of those story points back to me, I agree that they all occurred. 
And it is disappointing to me that there was so much about this movie that was so fascinating and so beautifully done. And that is such a cool, that is just such a cool idea. And I'm really bummed that, like I, like I said, it's not like I was watching casually or I'm not smart enough to catch this stuff, but the execution didn't like serve the idea at the level of brilliance it is, right? Yeah. Is, yeah. I, I have another point as well because the title of the film, like we said before, is The Exorcist. From the moments in Iraq, I assumed that Father mm. Marin was the exorcist and he was the objective of the film. Mm -hmm. However, throughout we have Father Karras as potentially the exorcist as well because they have them both performing the exorcism together. And I just think it's so interesting and also fucked up that they essentially demolish this young girl. She's the vessel for the war over the souls of the priests. Like, they're the ultimate goal. She's just yeah. a means well, to get to she them. she is woman. Woman is garbage. Vessel. A vessel. Well, both. I mean, throughout history mm -hmm. and pop culture and literature, that is the way mm -hmm. that it is. And I get that. And it was the same right, in The Witch, right? right? Like, ex except for reversed, because William was the vessel, and they were really trying to get Thomas in, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um but I think it definitely was aware of this trope, which is young girl is vessel to soul of grown man who should be capable of making his own decisions. So there's that point mm. that I think was interesting because I was throughout it, both times I watched it, wondering whose story it was. Like if it's not Reagan's, like we care yeah. about her. But we care more about Father Karras and we're supposed to care about Father Marin, but I wasn't really sure how that came up. But I do want to go back to it being set in Iraq. Number one, so glad it wasn't ancient Egypt. <laughs> That's so standard and stock. out. So glad it wasn't a curse from an Indian graveyard. Mm, played out. Like, played out also. Iraq is incredibly specific. It seemed also, fairly historically responsible. accurate. Like if you're going to go like, on a dig and historically to go find accurate. shit from... It yes. makes sense that that's where you would be. Also, Father Marin speaks Arabic. Mm -hmm. That's dope. At least enough to get, get around, like, yeah. at least enough, like, to have a conversation about ancient artifacts. Yeah. You know. One of the things so, they, they, that they talked yeah. to us about in screenwriting classes is, like, look at your, look at your pages and actually look at who is taking up time on the page and taking up time on the screen and when we meet them. Mm -hmm. If we spend, okay, mm -hmm. look at, like, Game of Thrones, right? The first 10 minutes of the entire nine season show are spent telling us the White Walkers are very scary and bad and they're the real danger here. Right? So then when we get to the final season and they yes. go... Like, are we going to talk about this? This fucked up last season? Or is that where we're headed? Because what, what the, the fuck? fuck? So then... Yeah, exactly. So we get all the way to the end here. And when they get disposed <laughs> okay. of in like four minutes, it's like, wait, what? Cool. So we're done now. What? What have you been, right. you spent, you ended the last season, like. You just undermined all of our petty bullshit, like, all of our petty bullshit is actually the important part? Absolutely not. I reject Right, that. and so we, here, we have a, we have I reject a, it. it's not, not like a rug out from under I you. I won't have scenario. it. Not in this house. <laughs> it's not like a total. <laughs> we do not high five. That is, that used to be my house words, it is true. 
back when my house sigil was a, a bike, a cat on a bike. Um, so, <laughs> but there's been a schism. And uh, now I need a new sigil. So um, the we need amulets. I think that one still stands. Um, personally. I, fucking like, I don't care. Amulets. We need amulets. I have the amulet. My, my new house sigil is just an amulet. <laughs> Listeners, if you know what that is, please draw me my house sigil. I can't draw it. Oh my God, please <laughs> draw us our house sigils. That would be so, amazing. Um, the, uh, so in this movie, right, we spend the first 10 minutes. It's a substantial amount of screen time with one character. It's Father Marin at a stretch. He doesn't come back until the last 10 mm-hmm. minutes of the movie. And then he dies five minutes later. So there's this kind of like... How does he die? That was one of my plot points. He that I ran clear out on. of life. <laughs> I don't know. This isn't Mario. He was, he, he, whatever Show those drugs me. he was taking, like he was just, he was on drugs. How about that? Sure. Okay. He ran out of blood pressure. Whatever. Oh, he took too many. Okay. I don't know his life. Should we skip to holy fuck a curse on the production? Yeah, I think please, that's actually all please, we've got. We I think that's that pretty part? much all we've got okay. left, really. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing when you think about everything that uh, purportedly, allegedly happened on the set. Um, you know, shooting was delayed because uh, one of the sets caught on fire. Uh, Ellen Burstyn sustained a pretty bad back injury uh, when she was flung mm-hmm. across the, the set. Um, two characters who actually die, who pass away in the movie, the actors playing them died in real life uh in during Whoa. during post-production i didn't know that so mm-hmm. um it uh yeah and wow. i mean beyond everything that happened to uh linda blair which i think is um it kind of an insane and kind of deserves yeah you know its own kind of discussion mm-hmm. um you know i i think that uh yeah, it was it definitely had its 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 moments. Yeah, it snowed on set one day. In the set, not near the set, not at that part of the world. Inside on the set, they had the room so refrigerated to get that icy breath from the priests and from Reagan that when they came in the next day, the room had been so saturated with moisture from all their hot mouths that it had snowed overnight in the set. Ew. Okay, both ooh and what uh-huh. the fuck. Those are my two simultaneous yeah. reactions of breath and yeah. snow. And um, I'm just I mean, reading if it was now. Jason Miller's breath, I'd be down, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's I'm basically s- just precipitation of a hot dude's saliva. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Sorry, I'm so breathy. I uh, I just came back from the boxing ring. I uh, didn't get a chance to shower. I didn't shower. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Look, if that's your dating profile and you like the fact that my dating profile is just going to be... Then just hit me up. Just hit me up. We're ready. <laughs> so let's do this exorcism, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, now he's Canadian? Oh, oh never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, about that curse. Yeah, Bill. Uh, what is it? Uh, Clay's book. Oh, it's yeah, um, very cool. Nowhere near the yeah, the as cursed as The Exorcist, but you know, it talks about it takes a very Linda Blair esque character and kind of follows her through her her childhood traumas to then her adult traumas to then her older adult traumas. So I, I think uh, 
there's a kinship to the exorcism for sure. I, you know, Bill, Billy Graham said that he, he thought that there was like an actual evil in that movie, like embedded into the celluloid. Mm. So mm-hmm. I, 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 I hope you guys are going out there and saying that this book, the remaking is evil and it has an evil in it. Oh my God. 100%. Do not read this book, people. It's evil. Yeah. I just, I just be saying like, be careful whose mm. stories you tell I say and how you tell the them. Time. And I, yeah, yeah. I don't. That's why I have no fucking friends. I just tell all their secrets. <laughs> you want to hear another story? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait. Or you were just pretending to I be was me? Just, okay. I was just. Oh. I have just no story to tell. That is. Drunk Mary Kay is like, I got to tell you a secret. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's true. <laughs> Let's be best friends. We're my best friends. When she's okay. drunk, she's like, okay, okay, okay. The most incredible. Put your person. number in my phone, and then you just put your book in my cart. I was gonna say, uh, drunk Mary Kay just throws her phone on the ground a bunch, right? That's only one time I did that when I still had a flip phone. I do, and I who do cares? Remember. What was Which that was like? Burner, anyway. like 13? 10, 11. 2011. It was eleven. Ten. No, oh, yeah. eleven. Thank you so much for coming on. This I'm was still shaking in my boots that you were it could on. could not have gone better. I had a blast oh, talking about <laughs> the exercise. <laughs> yes, I love it. You're amazing. So amazing. Thank you so much. Y'all buy his book. Thanks for having me on. Let us entertain. Thank you so Talk much. Talk to you guys later. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.